will not let her stay there. He says, let's go deeper. Jesus is talking about spiritual realities. She's trying her best to keep it at physical surface realities. And Jesus is moving towards her. But then, Jesus penetrates all the way down to her heart. Jesus had a way of speaking into somebody's life and putting his finger on the deepest brokenness of their life, and that's what he does here. He says, no more small talk. Go back and call your husband. And she is struck. She said, I have no husband. He said, that's right. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. You see, he goes right to the heart and penetrates her with a question that says, I know your deepest longings. I've read your mail. But she's still not ready to go there. Do you see that? I love the response she replies with here. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, why don't we talk about some theological issues here? I mean, what could be a better deflection than that? I think she was PCA. She says, hey, I got an idea. Since you're a prophet, let's talk about theology. Let's talk about some doctrine. Let's, let's talk about where's the right spot that we're supposed to worship. Should, you know... My father's worshipped here. You Jews say we've got to worship in Jerusalem. So which is it? It's a desperate attempt to protect her heart, which Jesus will not back away from. And he replies, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship not here nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming whenever true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's the kind of worship the Father is after. So, what do we learn from this? What does Jesus mean to teach the woman and through her us? Well, essentially he means to say this. The Father is after true worship. He wants authentic worship. Worship in the heart. Worship that penetrates all the way down to the places of our delight. That's the kind of worship he's after. And that's the reason he goes right into her personal life. That's the reason he goes right to the heart, the place of her deepest brokenness, the place of her deepest thirst, the place that she is seeking after life in and it's not delivering. He goes right there to say, you want to talk about worship? That's worship. Let's talk about your worship. You see, she wants to keep the matter of worship at an external Surely worship is just about a day. Surely worship is just about a form or how you do about it or where you go to do it. Surely that's what it's about. Surely it's external. Jesus said, no, it's deeply internal. You see, worship is an everyday reality in our hearts. And that's what Jesus penetrates to show here. Worship is an everyday reality. We will worship. It's how we've been made. There's no getting around it. Your heart will worship something because that is what we were designed for. The question is, what will you worship? G.K. Chesterton once said, Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is searching for God. That's a profound statement. What's he saying? He's saying that all of our deepest longings are a window 
to our ultimate longing that can only be satisfied in the living God. St. Augustine put it this way. He said in his confessions, You have made us for yourself, O God, and restless is the human heart until it finds its rest in you. St. Augustine was a man who knew all about thirst, all about misplaced worship and delight. And he says the delight that our hearts were made for is a delight in the living God. And that's what worship is. So Jesus goes on to kind of flesh out what is true worship that the Father is after. And Jesus says true worship, the kind of worship the Father is after is worship in spirit and in truth. What does he mean by that? Well, by spirit here, he means our spirit. The spirit of a man or the spirit of a woman. It's your inner being, your inner self, your inner man, your inner woman. Often in Scripture, the spirit, the heart, the soul are used interchangeably. Essentially, he's saying the the worship that the Father is after is an affection of the heart. It's in the heart. It's in the, the delights of your soul. It's in what you come to find satisfaction in. Jesus says, that is what true worship is. It's not an external. It's not just about where you go or a certain strategy or the kind of form that you might use. It's about the heart. That is what the Father is after in our worship, about our intimate, passionate delight in Him. We see this throughout the Psalms. You know, the psalmist... In the Psalms, we see a picture of people actually worshiping on the spot. And the psalmists are all the time saying things like, Delight yourself in the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What are they doing there? Are they just telling us theological truths? No. They're worshiping. They're delighting in Him on the spot. And so the Psalms are a guide for us to begin to delight in Him. That's what worship is all about. Now this makes really practical sense if you think about it. There's an enormous difference between duty and delight. Take, for instance, with me. Say one day I come home from work and I have a bouquet of flowers. And I knock on my door and Ashley comes out to let me in and I hand her the flowers and she says, Oh, thank you. And I say, Don't mention it. It's my duty. And what would that be like? What would those flowers mean to her? They would mean pain, right? She would go and throw them in the trash. They would be empty. It would not be delight at all. You see, it is our delight that glorifies God. Not rote duty. Not formalism. Not going through the motions. It is the full engagement of our heart that says, You are my soul's delight. That's the kind of worship he's after. But Jesus says a little bit more. 
Some of us hear that and we get really nervous, you know. We're, after all, PCA folk, and we say, whoa, whoa, you're talking about emotions here. That's not in our vocabulary as Presbyterians. Well, there is a balance. Jesus does say here, it's not only in spirit, it's also in truth. You see, it's not just affections, it's not just emotion. True worship is all also with an understanding of who He is, an understanding of what He has done. It's crucial into true worship, of knowing Him. See, Jesus, whenever in this conversation with this woman, He doesn't just say, whenever she asks about the place of worship, He doesn't just say, oh, none of that matters. It's just about the heart. None of that matters, the place or who it's from, none of that. No, you just got to feel it in your heart. That's not what He does at all. You see what He says here? He actually corrects her. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus says, worship is in truth. Salvation is through the Jewish Messiah. He gives her truth. So you cannot have true, authentic worship without truth, without an understanding of who He is. You see, emotion and zeal without orthodoxy, without understanding, is worthless. And it's empty. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian, he described true worship in this way. He said, it's when the apprehensions of your mind, that is, the understanding of who God is as He reveals Himself in Scripture, it's whenever that understanding of the mind meets the affections of the heart that worship is produced in our life. You see, it is the heart and the mind. It's the the passions of our heart and the understanding of our mind that come together to form true worship. That's what the Father is after. Edwards went on to describe this dichotomy as heat and light. Heat would be the full desire of our hearts, the affections of our hearts that are moved into light for God. Light would be the understanding of true doctrine as God has truly revealed Himself in Scripture. He says true worship is both heat and light. They go together. You cannot separate them. So which, let me ask you a question. Which do you think is our tendency? Now, there's probably exceptions in here. There's probably a few exceptions. Hopefully you know what your tendency is. But most of us, our tendency is to have light without heat. And it's just as dangerous as the other way around. Our tendency is to have wonderful theology, is to have an understanding, is to have knowledge, is to have truth, but it fails to penetrate and to move our hearts to worship. That's where we are most of the time. So what does Jesus want us to see here? He wants us to see that our delight and worship of Him is far too small. See, it's not that we're incapable of this. You might be thinking, well, I'm just not really that way. But see, the reality is we are in so many ways in our life. We may yawn at the things of God, but there's so many things in our life that move us that drive us, that we chase after delight in. If you were sitting by that well with Jesus, 
What would he put his finger on in you? What kind of a question would he ask you? What are those places where you are thirsty for life, that you're chasing after life in? See, we've got to see that so many good things in our life, a, a family, children, job, house, outfits, athletics, all of these things, do not settle for them being your delight. Find your delight in Him. Jesus here invites us to see our thirst. Oftentimes the way that you connect to your thirst is just like Jesus did it with the woman. He went right to her place of deepest brokenness. And it's through those places that we say, I'm thirsty. And begin to take that thirst to Him and say, Jesus, I'm thirsty for You. Fill me with Your water. Allow me to delight in You. So as we talk about the vision of Rock Creek Fellowship, we really want to begin with this. We really want to begin by saying we are aspiring to be a family, a a church that delights in Jesus Christ. A group of people that seeks all of our satisfaction, all of our life, all of our contentment in Him alone. And here's Jesus' promise to us. As we do that, as we drink deeply of Him, we as a church will become a well, a spring, a spring flowing with living water that life might flow out of us and into the lives of all those around us. That is our hope. May He do it in us. Let's pray together.